morning, everyone, and welcome to the latest in our podcast series, Series In The Know, where we take the opportunity to have a chat with investment professionals about what's going on in the markets at the moment. Um, today, I'm very, very, very pleased to be joined by Mark Harries, who is Chief Investment Officer at Squaremark Consulting. Morning, Mark. Good morning, Neil. Brilliant. Um, before we start going into some of the meat of the, the conversation, Mark, perhaps you couldn't, wouldn't mind just taking a few moments to tell us a little bit about Square Mile and what they do and um, your role there, please? Of course, Neil, I'd be delighted to. So uh, Square Mile uh, is a, an investment research and consultancy house. Um, it's uh, it, the real bread and butter of this business is researching funds, whether they are active or they are passive. Um, everything really from uh, equities through to sustainable investments. Um, we also uh, increasingly, because of client demand, uh, have been providing uh, portfolio solutions to clients uh, of all different shapes and sizes. But we're, we're best known for our independent research um, that you see uh, across uh, such mediums as LinkedIn. Okay, brilliant. Thank you very much for that. So let's let's start. Should we, should we just start with the sort of overall global position? We've got a global economy that's trying to recover from a pandemic, something we've not had, not seen for well over 100 odd years. Um, where do you think we currently all sit economically? There seem to be moving moving thoughts on this one. Yeah, I think that the expectations of global economic growth in 2021 continue to be revised higher uh, and even now may prove to be conservative. Um, the release of pent up demand as vaccines are rolled out and economists reopen uh, whilst the monetary and fiscal taps still remain in full flow is, is a bit of a heady mix. Um, since winning the uh, election last November, uh, President Biden uh, in America has announced uh, various uh, plans uh, for pandemic relief, for infrastructure-related uh, jobs plans, uh, wel welfare-focused plans called the American Families Plan, which in total are going to amount to some $6 trillion in additional spending which of course comes at a time uh, at which the US Federal Reserve continues to pump approximately $120 billion into the economy each month through what's called quantitative easing. Um, now, as a result of this, we're seeing um, the US uh, Conference Board, which is widely respected for its forecasting on the US economy, estimating that uh, the economy in the States has grown by some 9% on an annualized basis in the second quarter of 2021. And indeed here in, in, in the UK, the Bank of England has raised its forecast of economic growth uh, to 7.25% from just 5% three months earlier. Um, in the Eurozone, interestingly enough, where vaccination rates of course have lagged significantly behind those both here and in the US, um, and so restrictions have remained in place for longer, there's still quite strong growth of 4.3% expected uh, for the year. And it doesn't appear that either the Bank of England or the European central banks are keen to begin the pullback from quantitative easing. And in fact, the main focus of attention over the last few months has not been the excitement about this rebound in economic growth, but worries about the threat of inflation. Now, in, this, in the US, the annual inflation rate or CPI has soared from 1.7% in February to 5% in May. And that's its highest level since August 2008. 
Uh, this is mirrored in the UK uh, with the inflation rate tripling from 0.7 back in March to 2.1% in May. And the Bank of England actually expects it to rise above 3% uh, in the coming months. In China, which for long has been a byword for cheap manufacturing that, of course, has helped keep global inflation at bay, factory gate prices rose by 9% in the year to May. Interestingly, China is now seeing the same demographic trends as much of the developed world, with an ageing population, declining birth rate and a shrinking workforce. And we're also seeing very strong commodity prices. So oil is up some 45% in the first half of this year, and the likes of iron ore and copper are up by 39% and 20% respectively. And it's supply bottlenecks which are exerting upward pressure on prices being really commonplace, um, spanning everything from semiconductors, which of course are used in computer chips, to lumber, to labor. And the trillions of dollars and pounds being earmarked for infrastructure and environmental projects, as well as to address social inequality, may also be inflationary in nature. But central bankers seem steadfast in their assertion that the inflationary spike we're seeing is transitory and not the beginning of something more structural. So to be clear and to try and summarise is that this time um, we think there's insufficient evidence to determine if the upward trend in inflation is transitory or not. But it is something we're watching especially closely as it could have very important implications for investment portfolios. I think I think any I think anybody who's um, filled their car up at the, at the petrol pump recently has seen the increase in, in the price of petrol and uh, diesel and the like. So that comes as no, no it does. It does feel as though prices are going, prices are going up. I noticed one positive thing from inflation, of course, is that um, those on state pensions may well see their state pension rise significantly next year as a consequence of the triple lock. But um, that's a different subject altogether. Um, moving on from there, there, Mark, going into a bit more specifics and talking about the UK in particular, the FTSE 100 has largely underperformed most of the other global markets over the years. Um, what are the main factors, do you think, for that? Well, it's a, a very good question, Neil. I think when we um, when we look at the, the the UK market, we need to really understand um, how it's made up. Now, of course, the biggest sectors, um, the, the biggest sector to start with is consumer staples at almost 20% of the market. Financials is the second biggest sector uh, at some 18%, and materials come in third at some 13% of, of the market. And there's a huge chunk of the index in terms of weighting that really has been underperforming. One such example, of course, is the UK's banks, which have suffered with record low interest rates, which limit the amount of money banks can make from lending, denting their profits. And also investors have been fearful that banks could be left with many bad loans on their books once the crisis is over. Yeah. In energy, which is another significant sector, of course, um, the sector has also struggled. BP and Shell, for instance, have lagged as oil demand was hit very hard by coronavirus. Uh, in fact, actually across 2020, we saw Brent crude, which is one of the main measures of oil prices, starting the year at $67 a barrel, but finishing it around about $50 a barrel. Um, and although this year we've seen the price recover to about $73 today, that level hasn't really moved um, from the levels we saw at the beginning of 2018. So the, the big sectors in the FTSE, including oil, gas and banks, the heavyweights, they've just not been recovering in the same way the tech stocks have done. 
And the, the, the FTSE 100 does lack uh, what we would call tech superstars. And technology stocks have massively boosted other indices around the world in recent years. Yeah. As we've seen the shift, really, with people working from home, uh, virtual conferencing and TV streaming, which has sent prices sky high of those tech companies. And many of these types of companies have completely shrugged off the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, and the FTSE just doesn't have these sorts of stay at home stocks. Uh, and information technology makes up about 1% of the market. Now, if you compare that to the US where the NASDAQ and the S&P 500 have been massively boosted by the likes of Amazon and Netflix, and even somewhere like the German DAX, which is the main benchmark in Germany, has got firms such as SAP and Infineon Technologies. If we look and then turn to the, uh, the largest companies, this reinforces uh, the story in the UK. Um, so the largest five actually make up incredibly some 25% of the whole index, and they are the biggest Royal Dutch Shell. Secondly, HSBC Holdings, so of course a bank. Another oil company in third with BP, GlaxoSmithKline in fourth, and then British American Tobacco, uh, the fifth of those top five holdings. If we, if we sort of move on from the shape of the market, which has been a very big contributor to its relative performance, another factor, of course, which has been concerning investors has been Brexit. Mm. It's been looming, of course, for many years. Um, many investors, particularly overseas investors, haven't wanted to touch UK assets with a barge pole uh, because of Brexit and a government which initially seemed to be in disarray because of COVID. Um, and investors, of course, have been particularly worried about COVID um, and the results remain very unclear. Um, and there are not many economists suggesting it's anything but a negative for UK PLC. And this has definitely negatively impacted uh, sentiment around UK assets. If we move and then think about the central banks for a moment, they've really been at the root of the stock market rally and they pumped trillions of dollars, of course, into the global economy. But the US Fed has been much more active, explaining in part, large part, the country's striking market rally, whereas I think the Bank of England has been positive uh, and constructive, but to a lesser extent. Yeah. Now, of course, in brighter news for the FTSE 100, some analysts are warning that the tech rally has the hallmarks of a bubble. So a yeah. tech-less index like the FTSE could, of course, fare better than others if those warnings prove to be true. Mm. If we go further down, further down the market a little bit, Mark, and, and look at maybe the FTSE 250, the all share perhaps, um, I, I, mean, I noticed I was looking at some numbers this morning, Just and this is just over the last week because the market seems to be going up by 1% one day and down the next by, by 1%. That doesn't seem to be mirrored, mirrored in, the, in the all share. The all share seems to be um, still showing a positive outlook over the last few few weeks. Are we, should we perhaps be thinking more about those lower valued companies, perhaps? Certainly, the um, certainly there are parts of the UK market that look extremely attractive. Um, so fund managers have been pointing out over the last twelve or eighteen months that. If we, if we look at where value is in the market, um, you've got so-called value stocks. Mm -hmm. And these are stocks whose share prices are cheaper than the market average. And um, the dispersion between so-called value and so-called growth stocks, which uh, on average are growing faster than the market, uh, 
was at its widest that has been seen in over 100 years uh, last autumn. And so many fund managers who run their portfolios with a value style and their focus is on the prices they pay for companies um, were really suggesting that there was tremendous pent up uh, demand for uh, some of these companies and, and um, a lot of latent value. So that was one area being uh, highlighted as indeed smaller companies were being some of the smaller companies were being highlighted as extremely good value compared to their history uh, and and really offering an opportunity um, with the economy opening up quite strongly uh, with the vaccine rollout. So there do appear to be opportunities in the UK market, which isn't on a particularly demanding uh, rating compared to other markets. Mm. And in fact, um, I recently interviewed three UK equity managers and in each case, they were very bullish on the outlook for the UK uh, for the next two to three years, uh, particularly in comparison to more expensive markets like the US and some of the European markets. Well, given that most people, you know, our clients are, are UK based and, and as UK based investors, they tend to have more UK focused investments than, than perhaps international investments. That's quite encouraging to hear that we might see some see the UK market do quite well over the next two or three years. Can I, can I just come back to the question of sterling and, and, and um, the strength of sterling? Because that obviously impacts the, the large, the FTSE 100, of course, a lot of their profits are made overseas, configured in dollars, convert back to sterling, sterling strong, that has an impact on, on profits. Do we see that as being a problem? Well, year to date, just put some numbers around this, the pound uh, has been the strongest currency. It, it's up by about uh, 1% against the dollar, by some 4% against the euro, and nearly 9% against the yen. Um, I think actually the strength of the pound to start with is uh, in the early part of this year was very much uh, reflecting um, the stronger economic recovery from the UK. Uh, and this is really very strongly correlated to the, to the world beating rollout of coronavirus vaccines yeah. and also the removal of uncertainty about the UK's trading relationship with the EU following Brexit. Um, I think for companies, uh, for this, particularly for large companies, they do tend to hedge their overseas trading positions. So um, the fact that actually sterling might be very strong is largely um, taken care of by the fact that actually but large companies do tend to uh, run teams of um, treasury departments and teams of people whose job it is is to protect um, their their profits from overseas by hedging the currencies back to sterling to prevent it having such a big impact should sterling continue to to remain strong relative to other currencies. Which which is which I mean, yeah, is is a sensible route for them to take. What about the impact on the bond market though? Because that, that strikes me that for, for years and years and years, we've looked at the bond market and thought, well, this surely is a bubble waiting to burst. And it's not, it hasn't burst yet, but it doesn't look particularly encouraging at the moment. The bond markets have been uh, particularly perplexing. Um, so to start with at the beginning of this year and thinking about what's happened recently, um, the bad news, obviously, for investors in bonds uh, is inflation because it erodes the real value of the interest payments and the capital return, yeah. uh, which are fixed. Um, 
And you might have thought, therefore, that the sharp increases in inflation seen in the second quarter would have caused bond prices to fall and therefore yields to rise. Yeah. But actually what we've seen are 10-year gilt yields falling from 0.85 to 0.72% in the period, mm -hmm. therefore providing a positive return. And in fact, actually, if you look at the 10-year um, yield today, it's fallen further to 064 um, now, we've seen the same pattern in the US where we've seen, in fact, a bigger jump in inflation, but we've seen 10-year US Treasury bond yields declining from 1.75 to 1.47. Now, of course, what we've got to remember is in the first quarter, it, the reverse was true. So you'd have lost a significant amount of money. So uh, UK uh, gilts actually rose 10-year gilts uh, yields from 0.2 to 0.85 that would have meant a loss in terms of capital loss of about 6% yeah. uh, in the uh, first uh, quarter of the year, um, which uh, really is um, a quite a scary number for something mm -hmm. that is considered a very conservative, low-risk investment uh, right, yeah. and contemplated as something that protects investors against mm -hmm. the, the worst of uh, volatility and market uncertainty. And this is why we've been very cautious around bonds because they haven't really offered uh, much value. And in fact, what we've been doing is, is reworking our portfolios to use more flexible solutions. So these are the sort of things where the fund managers can invest uh, in everything from high yield bonds to emerging market debt to variable rate securities, such as mortgage-backed securities. And what this means is that when interest rates rise, if you have a variable rate security, the yield that you get also increases at the same time. Yeah. So it offers you some protection from inflation. And that's also why we have index linked bonds in the yeah. portfolio, because again, you know, whatever happens to inflation, you need some sort of protection in your portfolios to, to try and deal with the different uh, environments that we might face. Yeah. Uh, I think it's very interesting about the bond market as listeners to these podcasts will testify we have touched on this before in the past and uh, the bond markets are much bigger than the equity markets globally and i think people tend to forget that so they, they do need to keep an eye on what's going on in the bond markets in conclusion as as is always the case i suppose um investors should feel reasonably cautiously optimistic about the short-term outlook but for longer-term investors there are opportunities to be had yeah, we think there's always a, an opportunity to to make good returns from markets over the uh, long term, Neil. Um, we are a little bit cautious about the immediate outlook because um, when we sort of try and summarise where we are, um, we've, we've had, first of all, uh, an extraordinary divergence between the performance of usually high priced and often technology related growth stocks and cheaper, more economically sensitive value stocks in sectors such as commodities and financials and the former of course of trounced the latter which is really the story of the us against the uk so we think there are some opportunities but when we look across the stock markets they are typically reveling in what you might describe as a goldilocks set of circumstances in other words they're looking at economic growth as buoyant and therefore corporate profits benefiting from that scenario inflation which is going up but not out of control according to the central banks um, and, and indeed, if inflation, if they're right, the central banks, if inflation does turn out to be modest uh, and low to mid single digit, 
stock markets and companies can take that in their stride. Um, but the reason that we're cautious is that if, firstly, central banks are wrong about inflation and that interest rates have to rise considerably, um, then I think it's a different story. Secondly, that share valuations are expensive, even allowing for the anticipated bounce in corporate profits. And there's really very little uh, margin of safety if, for example, profit margins began to get squeezed by higher labour or other costs. The other area of concern that, uh, that we see is the degree of speculation evident in stock markets. One example has been the recent investor mania for special purpose acquisition companies, or they're sometimes known as SPACs, which have enabled a string of private companies to become publicly listed, typically in the US. Uh, some on really the basis of heroic assumptions about future prospects. If I give you an example, Nikola, an electric truck maker, was valued at $12 billion last year when it listed on the US stock market. And yet some months later, it was exposed that the movement of a prototype vehicle used in a promotional video was not self-powered, but was because it was rolling downhill. So we would express some concern uh, because there is a degree of euphoria. And in fact, there's some statistics out this week which suggest that if the amount of money rolling into equities seen so far this year continues until the end of December, that it would equivalent be to that of all of the monies invested in the equity markets over the last 20 years. So there really is a lot of money chasing the stock markets at the moment, and hence our rather cautionary stance. Mark, thank you very much for that. Thank you very much indeed for your time this morning. It's very much appreciated. Um, I'm sure that uh, we'll get you back in for one of our future In The Know podcasts. Um, I hope you're welcome to come back. Um, for our audience, thank you very much for listening, and we hope you'll join us for future podcasts when we'll be exploring investment markets once again, and indeed other subjects as well. Thank you.